Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for Focus staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I'm joined by Dave Eubing. Now, Dave is a Focus alumni, but now he has the position of Chancellor for the Archdiocese of Denver, and he is also the Vice Postulator for Julia Greeley's Cause of Canonization. Prior to working in the Archdiocese, he was the Editor-in-Chief of Catholic News Agency, and when he was in Focus, he was a missionary at Montana State and Troy before that. He was born in South Bend, Indiana, and now calls Denver his home. And he and his wife, Jenny, have six kids and a seventh arriving in April. Thanks. It's great to be here, Jessica. Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk with you today about Julia Greeley. So a few years ago, I was a parishioner at the Cathedral Basilica, Mm -hmm. and I remember hearing the news that Denver might have a saint and that her remains were being transferred to the cathedral. And I had never heard that saints' remains sometimes get transferred to the cathedral. This was all very new for me. And I went and I prayed in front of her body. That was such an incredible experience to think that this woman lived in the same place that I'm living And she was a poor woman, not a lot of educational background. She was a former slave. And yet she was somebody who might potentially be a saint someday. And so I was asking her to intercede for me. And it was such an incredible experience for me. Now that she is a servant of God, I wanted to make her more known by people in focus and hopefully by many others as well. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It's been an honor to be her vice postulator and be involved with her cause. It's my first time doing that. So (laughs) your first time with uh, someone who's a saint nearby and my first time helping lead a cause. I always tell people it's my favorite thing I do. I'm sure. I mean, not many people have that job in the world. So first tell us, what does a postulator and a vice postulator do? Yeah, a postulator is based in Rome and they basically represent the cause in front of the Vatican's to castrate for causes of saints. And so, you know, they're typically a canon lawyer. They have to be certified to be a postulator. There's like a course they go through. And then the vice postulator is usually the person that's locally based. Uh, so wherever that saint was from, wherever the petitioner or the main supporter of the cause is located. So for Julia's cause, the Archdiocese of Denver is her petitioner. Um, the person or organization asking the Vatican to consider whether or not she's a saint. Maybe later we'll get into like what the different phases are of the cause, but in the initial stage, the vice postulator helps kind of, it's the local phase, so here in Denver, you help with the local investigation, and then You're also, I'm also in charge of kind of just promoting awareness of her. So with the investigation, are you the one who gets to research whether or not something is a miracle? Or uh, do you look through her life and you present papers to the Vatican? What's involved with the investigation? Yeah. So there's two phases uh, to a cause for canonization. The first is the local or diocesan phase. And then the second is the Roman phase or the Vatican phase. The local phase starts off, and I'm not going to go into all the complexities, but I'll give you an overview here, (laughs) because it it is quite complex. First, the local bishop 
has to ask the rest of the U.S. bishops if they think it's a good idea to open the cause. You know, the bishops you'd meet once a year in Baltimore in November, and then in June they kind of shift around the meetings. So at the Baltimore meeting in November, they have like a voice vote on uh, should this person's cause be open. And then there's also a check of all the Vatican's files on that person. They check to see if there's anything problematic. Uh, in their background. Now with Julia, they had no idea, who is this person? She's a slave, you know, there's nothing. <laughs> so that was pretty easy. And we were fortunate that there are five other candidates being considered for sainthood from the US. They're all African-American. It kind of came about that all these causes were going at the same time. So yeah, she was approved. And then once you get that approval, then you can start assembling a team essentially that looks into her life, her writings, um, anything she might have said or recordings. Now here she's like, she died in 1918, so the only thing we have for recorded is her will with her X on it. That's like the only writing we have from her. Because she, she didn't know how to sign her name, right? Yeah. She was in a court trial over the divorce of the first governor of Colorado and his wife, also named Julia. And then... The last thing we have is a photograph of her, and it's just a photo of her with a little girl uh, that she was the godmother for. Yeah, there's not a lot of recordings, but so you, you conduct a whole investigation at the local phase. So it's interviewing people that know about her, knew of her. Was she a saintly person? Was there any evidence of that? Then you also even ask, are there people that think she wasn't saintly and uh, lived a life of you know, what they call heroic virtue. So that's a whole phase that lasts months. I mean, we, ours took, can't remember the exact dates for opening and closing, but uh, it took months. And by the end, we had produced around 3,500 pages of documentation. That's incredible. <laughs> and you have to make three copies of it. So for someone that was illiterate, that's a lot of documentation. <laughs> yes. And well, and what an exciting job for you to be able to research the life of somebody who could be a saint someday. Yeah. In all of that time that you've spent researching Julia's life, she must have become a very good friend of yours. And so I wanted to ask you three spiritual lessons that we could learn from her life. But first, for anybody who's not familiar with Julia, mm -hmm. could you sum up her story for us? <clears throat> So, uh, Julia was born in Hannibal, Missouri, or around there, on a farm. Her parents were slaves themselves, and so she was born into slavery. We don't, you know, with, as with most slaves, you don't know their last name. Frequently, they would take the last name of their master. Um, in Julia's case, she said that she took the name from Judge Horace Greeley and his wife. Uh, Judge Greeley was a famous emancipationist, so he fought for the end of slavery. They also instructed her in the Catholic faith. Yeah. So she was not Catholic. She didn't grow up Catholic. Uh, raised on this farm, and we think, but we don't have evidence, that she was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. Somewhere in the late 1870s, she started working for um, a family called the Pratts in St. Louis as like a houseworker, housekeeper, that kind of thing. And she, for whatever reason, wanted to leave St. Louis. So she decided to come out to Colorado 
she came out with this letter of reference, basically, and uh, Governor Gilpin, William Gilpin, and his wife, Julia, were related to the family she worked for back in St. Louis. So she came out and uh, started working for the governor and his wife, uh, keeping house. At first, she was like ironing laundry and cleaning and that kind of thing. And then later on, she was a cook for them. So there's like a point where she left. And then um, while she was here in Denver, what she really became known for was she had such a heart for the poor and the people that needed uh, different things. It was a pretty econo economically tumultuous time. A lot of the economy was based off of like silver and gold mining. Uh, Denver was about between three and 5,000 people at that point. And so she would find out, oh, this family over here needs like a new baby carriage because they don't have anything and they've got a baby coming. So then she would go and because of her work cooking and other things, she got to know some of the better off people. And she would ask them, oh, you don't need this carriage anymore. You could always buy another one. And would take it and deliver it to the family in need. Uh, she did the same thing with coal because a lot of stuff was powered by coal back then or heated by coal. Food, medicines. Um, she would take girls, wealthy girls' dresses from dances they went to and refit them and sew them for poor girls so that they could go to the dances too. She loved kids, so she'd take little kids out for picnics to give their parents a break. And one of the things that I love about her is her sense of humor. I think we'll get to that later, but uh, she had a great sense of humor about things. So anyway, to wrap up her life stories, she uh, was an extremely strong devotee of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And she went to Sacred Heart Parish. That's where she came into the church, was at Sacred Heart, close to downtown Denver. And so she uh, ended up uh, one day on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, getting sick. And it was some kind of problem with her kidneys. And she got sick at church. And then she left church and was going to a friend's house to get taken care of, and she kind of collapsed. And so they took her to St. Joseph's Hospital. She passed away like a day or two later. So she passed away on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, which is just amazing. So she's buried at, was buried at Mount Olivet Cemetery, which is northwest Denver, Wheat Ridge, um, Catholic Cemetery. And as part of the process, you have to find out what state are her remains in. Right? So, are, is she incorrupt? Is she partially incorrupt? Is she skeletonized? Uh, so, yeah, we found out she's uh, just bones, right? But uh, you, we then moved her remains, which is how you found out about it, uh, to the cathedral. And so she's the only person buried at the cathedral. Um, the bishop, no priest, is buried there, just a former slave who was like a Mother Teresa of Denver, uh, and just really loved and cared for the poor uh, and was very devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's such a spiritual testament for all of us that the person who's buried at Denver's Cathedral isn't a bishop or somebody who uh, did something really important. You know, in Europe, there are princesses and kings who are buried at cathedrals. But here in Denver... It's a former slave who was known for her charity. Mm -hmm. Incredible. So now that we know a little bit about Julia, 
I'd like to hear some of the spiritual lessons that you think we can learn from her life. So what would you say is the first lesson we can learn from Julia? Yeah, I'd say her first, the first lesson, which I think is really relevant today, uh, is that she was really courageous in the face of opposition and sometimes even derision, you know. So as a former slave, as a woman of color, she, well, she joked, I'm like a raisin in a pot of oatmeal. <laughs> um, so there were not a lot of black people around here. She was one of the few blacks and definitely probably one of the only black Catholics. She would deal with people, you know, saying racist things to her. She dealt with, at one point, in this very complex story about the governor and her relationship with Governor Gilpin, was accused of trying to poison him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, and also of... Um, just basically alienating the children from him. So, and also being lewd and unprincipled, which was a stereotype about African-Americans back then. You know, people would say, it's called the Jezebel stereotype. So they'd say, yeah, they're just so immoral and loose and they can't control themselves. And uh, But he had no proof. And so when the divorce trial was happening and Julia was called as a witness, he accused her of being uh, lewd and unprincipled and they asked him, well, where's your evidence? And he said, well, the person who said that is dead. Gosh. <laughs> so that didn't hold up. And I think the governor, yeah, he was a bit paranoid and maybe had some mental health things going on. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, the, there was no evidence she ever tried to poison him. But in any case, she dealt with that and just... She didn't speak ill of the governor or other people that treated her badly. She just kind of went on fighting God's providence to provide for her. So, Yeah, incredible heroic virtue in the face of opposition. And one of the things that struck me from Julia's story is that I read that as she was doing all of these beautiful spiritual works for people, she would do some of them at night mm -hmm. because she knew rightly that there were some white families that would be embarrassed to receive charity from an African-American woman. And so she would do it at night so nobody would see that it, she was the one who was giving them charity. And I read that and I thought, there's no way that I would have that kind of virtue. Yeah. I'd be like, if you don't want to receive charity from me, that's fine. Then you won't. Yeah. But Julia had this heroic virtue where she cared about them despite their prejudices against her. And she was willing to show them the love of Christ despite how they felt about her. I mean, yeah. uh, that's heroic virtue right there as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Yeah, she also would give money to people that asked for it even though they were better off than she was. And she sometimes knew it was a scam, but did it anyway. Wow. Um, because what mattered to her was not holding anything back, being charitable, even when she knew it wouldn't be, that she was being taken advantage of. That's my first spiritual lesson. Yeah. So what's the second one? Uh, the second is what I call her re recipe for relationships, which was humility spiced with uh, humor. Um, so as you were just saying, she was very humble, um, you know, didn't care that she had to go at night to, 
uh, give charity to people. One time somebody spotted her walking down an alleyway carrying a mattress on her back. You know, like oh which, which of us could do that? You know, that's that's hard even for a guy, right? Yeah. But, um, so, <clears throat> yeah, she was called everybody's aunt by people. She was known all around town, was friendly to all. Um, and she would boast of how her the girls that she took care of with uh, giving them dresses to that when they were poor to go to dances and stuff were the most modestly chic of Denver. <laughs> so she's, she would make jokes like that. Um, one time when it was really cold outside, below zero, Julia ran into this uh, neighbor named Ed Graves. And so he was out and he'd taken his kids to go visit his mom, their grandma, and they're going back home. It's about nine o'clock at night. Julia is going by and she has one of her baby carriages that she's got different donations in, food and clothes and things like that. And she just shouts out to him, hey, Mr. Graves, got anything on your hip? <laughs> Which back then, hip flasks were a thing. Uh, and so, you know, she needed something to keep her warm at night <laughs> in the cold. Um, there was also a time when uh, Julia walked into... Uh, Sacred Heart, which had a school at the time. There was a bunch of kids in there. And uh, one of the kids noticed that she had her skirt on inside out. And so the teacher looked over at Julia and said, Julia, why are you doing that? Why do you, what, what's going on there? And, and she said, I know, sister, I know. And the kids just all laughed and, you know, played around, along with it. And so she was humble and she had a great sense of humor. And I feel like humor is something that isn't brought up very much in the lives of the saints. But as people grow in holiness, I feel like they grow in senses of humor because they're able to laugh at themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's really their humility that enables them to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And even to put it to use for a good cause, like uh, one time there was a fundraiser and it was a beauty contest. Okay, now Julia, this is something I didn't mention earlier, but when she was a little girl, got her eye, one of her eyes hit with a whip. And so one of her eyes was always partially closed and would just kind of weep tears. And she would, uh, you know, dab at it and keep it clean and all that. But she wasn't the most beautiful woman to look at. <laughs> okay. But she enters this beauty contest, which was uh, to raise money for Sacred Heart Church. And just to make money for the church, she went around to all the firemen in the metro area, which was about 20 fire stations at the time, and raised money from the firemen. And she got 350 bucks, which back then was a lot, a lot of money. I don't know what the equivalency for today is, but um, she won the contest. That's you know, amazing. She so, won. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So she had no problem with uh, letting herself be made fun of a little for a good cause. Mm -hmm. So. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now, what's your last lesson that we can learn from Julia? Sure. Um, so, I think the last lesson is that she let her heart be moved like the sacred heart of Jesus is moved for our sins, for our condition of poverty, spiritual or material or otherwise, um, and really let her heart be conformed to his. One of the things that Julia would do 
every first Friday. You know about the first Friday Sacred Heart Devotion. So she would go around every first Friday and had these pamphlets for the Sacred Heart League, uh, which she was a member of. Um, and she would go to all the firefighters in town. She had a real love for firefighters. Um, and ask them to enroll in the Sacred Heart League. And she'd give these pamphlets out to Catholics, non-Catholics, anyone. She went to the chief of the fire department and said, Chief, can I hand out these tickets? He goes, well, what are they? Tickets to heaven. <laughs> um, sure, Julia, as long as you give one to me. <laughs> so uh, she would hand these out. And the reason she would do it, particularly for firefighters, was at the time it was really dangerous profession. I mean, it's still dangerous today, but even more so then. And we don't know for a fact, but we suspect there was one incident that really put this on her radar, which was there was one fire station that was all African-Americans. They were called to a fire at the Warwick Hotel downtown Denver. And while they were there uh, fighting the fire, the floor collapsed and three of them died. Three out of five, I think. And so that really hit home for her. And she saw, oh, these men are in danger all the time. And what about their souls? So I need to make sure that they're close to the sacred heart of Jesus. They fight flames. Jesus' heart is a flame with love for them. So she really, so this is, that's a 22 mile trip. She would go every first Friday on foot, 22, 22 miles, miles to all the fire stations. In one up, day. In one day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we learned when we exhumed her body, actually, she had arthritis in pretty much every joint you could have it. And her right knee was bone on bone. So that's, she had a limp and that's why. And yet she still did those 22 miles. Yeah. Yeah, she just heroic, right? Yes. So, and what an incredible example of a missionary evangelization right there, right. suffering so that Jesus will be made known. That's right. So, you know, I was a missionary. Um, was it Montana State and Troy State? And uh, I remember, and this is something that I think can really apply to all the missionaries listening and the students too. Um, I would have times where I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you need to go talk to that guy right there in the cafeteria. I really did not want to do it. <laughs> um, but I did. And it turned out to be like, this guy was a fallen away Catholic and he had been trying to find some community and fellowship. And it was an opportunity to invite him to an event we had going on, like a Friday luncheon at the parish and, then Bible study. So Julia was so attuned to the Holy Spirit like that too, and to the needs of others. Um, she, in one instance, there was a poor black cook, um, I think his name was Tom, and he died without any kind of burial plans, or he's very poor. And Julia had bought a plot uh, at the cemetery for herself. And because he was so poor, she just gave the plot. And he was buried there. And um, When Julia died, she didn't have any money either. But because she was so well known for her charity and so well loved, um, one of the priests at the parish and another lay woman paid for her funeral. And she was, you know, it was like a, almost a state funeral. I mean, there was 
four hours, people just streamed by her casket. And, um, she was brought in a carriage out to the uh, cemetery. and So that's such a good testament for us as missionaries to be attuned to the fact that when we listen to the Holy Spirit, when we follow God's lead, he will reward us a hundredfold. Exactly. And even those small acts of charity can have a tremendous impact on the church. That there were hundreds of people coming to her funeral is a, a testament of that. Mm-hmm. And she didn't do anything big. She yeah. wasn't like a big preacher in Denver or anything like yeah. that. She simply loved people and met them in their suffering. Well, as we wrap things up today, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about Julia Greeley? It's just to reemphasize what you were just saying, that don't be discouraged by the fact that the things you do might be small. Don't get discouraged that, well, I put all this effort into something and it seems like nothing came out of it. Uh, I remember hearing from a fellow teammate from when I was in Focus about five years ago, which, so I was in Focus between 2002 and 2005. So that was a long time ago. That was over 20 years ago. (laughs) And, uh, but I heard about this student that I had just invited to a Bible study one time. And he said that it changed his life. And I never even had evidence of that when I was there on campus. But you hear about it all these years later. So I think Julia is such a good example of that, that, you know, some plant, some harvest, and you don't know how your hard work is going to pay off, but you know that God sees it. Yes. And God brings the growth. That's right. Well, I'm so inspired hearing these stories about Julia and I would encourage all of our listeners to ask for her intercession. And if you receive any favors, contact the Archdiocese of Denver. And the Julia Greeley Guild. Julia Greeley They also help support and make known her cause. And uh, you can report favors to them too. Excellent. Well, we pray that someday she becomes a saint. Yes, God willing. Thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah, thank you for joining me today, Dave. You're welcome. And thanks, everybody, for listening.